Kwame Neshe. I direct the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute, where I'm also a senior scholar. And we're here today to discuss the repression of Hong Kong and the rise of a pro-freedom hero, Jimmy Lai. And I have two experts with me who will be um, discussing the various aspects of both of those points, the religious freedom suppression and Jimmy Lai's case. Beijing is systematically working to absorb Hong Kong under its communist uh, rule in violation of the 1997 agreement with Britain to respect Hong Kong's separate political, economic, and social system. <clears throat> Since the Chinese Party, Communist Party imposed the national security law in 2020, um, sweeping law, uh, we have seen the, or Hong Kong has seen free speech, free press, um, freedom of assembly and association, de other democratic freedoms, the rule of law, and um, due process rights uh, being systematically uh, curbed. The, um, uh, there's mounting evidence that shows that the CCP recently has begun to harness, just in the last two years, two or three years, has begun to harness religious communities, aligning them with the CCP's, the Chinese Communist Party's sinicization policy, through which it tightly restricts religious practice, uh, religious leaders, and religious teachings on the mainland. Um, Hong Kong's Jimmy Lai um, is now uh, before a court with a 100% conviction rate under the national security law, accused of criticizing, charged with criticizing uh, the government, the Communist Party, the Chinese Communist Party, um, and um, subversion. Uh, he is the founding owner and columnist of Hong Kong's Apple Daily Media. He is a self-educated entrepreneur who made a vast fortune in Hong Kong. It's free market <coughs> system. Um, and despite the crackdown, he courageously chose to stay in Hong Kong to defend the freedoms that he and others, so many others, have benefited from and enjoyed uh, in Hong Kong. Um, and his arrest um, followed swiftly the imposition of the national security law. Um, he has been held already for three years in prison, in jail, on various charges. And he's now facing a possible life sentence. So with me today to address these issues, um, I'm very delighted to introduce um, two experts. Bill McGurn, who is um, the uh, member of the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal and writes a, uh, a weekly column, Main Street, at the Wall Street Journal. Um, Bill was a speechwriter for President George W. Bush. And he was based in Hong Kong for most of the 1990s um, 
uh, for the Wall Street Journal and the Far Eastern Economic Review. Moreover, uh, Jimmy, uh, Bill is the godfather of Jimmy Lai and probably knows him better than anybody else in the United States. Also in our discussion today, we have Francis Hoy, who was the first political activist to be granted political asylum in the United States. In December 2023, she, uh, had the distinction of having a $1 million Hong Kong um, bounty put on her head by Hong Kong authorities. She is also the author of a new report called Hostile Takeover, the CCP and Hong Kong's Religious Communities, which was published by the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong Foundation. And that report can be found on their website at www. The cfhk.org. So Bill, I'd like to start with you. Um, Jimmy Lai, the man, you know him better than probably anybody in this country. Can you share with us what he is like, what motivates him, um, what is his situation now, and what it has been? Well, I first met Jimmy in the 1990s. I was working for the Far Eastern Economic Review. It's kind of an economist for Asia. And uh, I was struck, Jimmy had a chain of clothing stores called Giordano. And it was kind of like a Gap or an L.L. Bean. They sold brightly colored clothes, um, good quality at a reasonable price. And it was the first time someone tried to market to the middle class. And that sense, he's a real pioneering entrepreneur. Before that, you could get you know designer labels a lot cheaper than, say, Europe or the US, or stuff in the streets, but not a lot for the middle class. So we did a story on him. And my boss came back and said, Jimmy claims to be the only guy who's read all of Hayek. And uh, of course, we were all Hayek aficionados. <laughs> For shorthand, Hayek was uh, like Milton Friedman, a pro-free market, but his books are more philosophical than um, than technical. So we kind of bonded over that. We had lunch, but what really brought us together is Jimmy's wife, Teresa, and my wife, Julie, really grew close. And over the years, you know, his family, he became like a brother. Uh, and I, you know, I was there when all his kids were born, watched them grow up. So um, I watched this man who shared the principles sometime before 1997, like a week before the handover. I asked him if he wanted to convert. And he said, no, uh, he believed in all religion. And if he chose one, um, he would be favoring one over the other. He couldn't be effective. Okay, that was his reason. I asked, he said no. A week later, um, still before 1997, handover, he uh, said, I want Christ in my life. And um, he decided to convert. And he talked to the cardinal. And a week after the handover, he had become a Catholic. Now, Nina, I'm ashamed to say at the baptism in the cathedral when he became a Catholic, 
I wondered how much Jimmy really believed. He knew a lot of Catholics, as Francis will tell you, Catholics are pretty prominent in the pro-democracy movement. He respected the Catholic Church. His wife was Catholic, would be happy. So there are a lot of social reasons to become Catholic. But I'll say I'm ashamed of those thoughts now. Getting his letters from prison, he's very serious. He considers himself a religious artist. Um, he sends me art all the time. He used to, I'll hold up an example here once. He used to do it like this on the back of uh, letters that he wrote to me from prison. Um, and he takes it very seriously. So his faith not only sustains him, it sustains his wife and family. It's a bond. And of course, he has that bond with a lot of people. And one of his big friends, Cardinal Zen, you know, at a time when everyone else is abandoning Jimmy, people who are at his dinner table don't want to be seen with him. Cardinal Zen walks into the courtroom and sits right next to Jimmy's wife. Uh, it's really extraordinary. Well, let's let's talk for a minute about the courtroom. So Jimmy's on trial. Um, he's been in prison, though. He's been in Stanley Prison for three years. Um, what? Where does his legal case stand? His legal situation, and where? Um, how long do you think it's going to go? And and where do you see this ending? And does well Jimmy know yeah. about it? Does Jimmy he's acknowledge in, that he is really in deep trouble? Yeah, he's been in jail um, about. Um, three years, and he was originally uh, charged and convicted of some minor crimes like attending a demonstration, and then he was convicted of trumped-up business fraud charges. Now he faces charges of sedition and foreign collusion under the national security law. I don't think there's any doubt about the outcome. I mean, one of the ministers bragged about the 100% uh, conviction rate under the national security law. So, uh, but anyone who thought Jimmy would leave, he owns homes in Paris, Tokyo, Taiwan. He could have gone anywhere and saved himself, but he, he just wouldn't do that. He, he always says, Hong Kong made me rich, gave me everything I am. Um, how could I turn my back on it? And he, anyone who would thought he might leave um, just doesn't know the man. Yeah, Francis, um, speaking of the national security law, you talk about how religious, you write about how religious uh, freedom is deteriorating. And it seems like this one law, this one pernicious law in a single stroke has undermined so many freedoms. Religious freedom has been relatively intact and um, compared to, say, the, the uh, right to demonstrate and, and uh, uh, free speech, that was shot down very early on a after the law um, was imposed, even before the law was imposed. So um, can you talk about, you know, tell us about how the national security law works? I mean, you really drilled down on it, on religious freedom, to see how it is really eroding that right. Mm -hmm. Well, so China imposed a national security law in Hong Kong in 2020, and the the I guess the biggest goal of it is to stifle dissent, right? Um, you know, it, it it has destroyed freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and freedom of press. 
um, it's a very vaguely written law that pretty much applies to the whole civil society. You see groups disbanded, and a lot of them, people are silencing, um, you know, censoring themselves. And now we see a pattern of using that law to also um, stifle religious freedom in Hong Kong. Um, I think a more, um, the most directly demonstrated example is obviously persons of faith being targeted um, for their efficacy um, for human rights and freedom. We, I mean, I don't think, um, you know, a lot of them do not, um, well, the, 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 the priority of it is the, the efficacy for democracy, but a lot of them have included in their testimonies that their faith is what led them to be standing mm -hmm. out in the streets and um, participating in social movements. Um, we see, again, we're talking about Jimmy Lai. Um, he's a Catholic. Um, Cardinal Zen, he was also arrested mm -hmm. at, um, under the national security law, although not charged. Um, but we see that, you know, uh, the government is using this law to target persons of faith. And a Protestant pastor was actually um, sentenced to 13 months in jail in uh, 2022 um, under the law um, for sedition and seditious speech. Um, and so he became kind of like the first um, clergy or uh, the first uh, religious figures to be sentenced in jail. Um, I think that's the most direct example. But there are also another more obscure uh, but widespread effect is the chilling effect that has created in the entire society. Um, people are now prone to self-censorship, um, and that includes um, priests, right, clergy, um, when they are giving sermons, um, and also teachers um, in faith-based schools when they're teaching about religious education. Let me ask you about that. The, the uh, Christian schools, you point out in your report, um, really um, own a lot of the educational infrastructure in, in the whole region, in yeah. the whole uh, Hong Kong. And um, they are also directly affected by that national security law. Can you explain that? Yeah. So. In the national security law, it actually requires every school to um, implement national security education, um, no matter what kind of school you are, public school, private Which is school. intimidating in and of itself, just to be reading of this warning constantly and being lectured about it. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, the, the education, it, they published you know, the curriculum, a guideline of the education, basically um, it's to infuse values, um, you know, socialist values, patriotic values into textbooks. And every subject in uh, teaching in, in the school has to um, abide with that rule. And so in my report, I, during my research, I interview um, teachers who actually taught in um, secondary schools, um, and, and they were um, religious studies teachers. And a lot of them have told me, yeah, even with religious studies, there's nothing to do with the CCP. Uh, we have to try to find a way to put in those values in their subject, in their teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and also, every school are required to um, display this um, PRC national flag um, in, in their um, you know, school hall. To show patriotism. Right. What about a cynicization? This is a, a, a Xi Jinping, President Xi Jinping of China's um, policy articulated in 2015 yeah. um, to um, unite religions, religious communities around the party. 
and and, and the uh, control over oversight of religions um, then became the responsibility of the United Front Work Department of the Chinese Communist Party. So it really was incorporated into yeah. the party uh, religions on the mainland. And so it's far more draconian there, it seems, on the mainland. But it does have an effect now in Hong Kong. You're seeing uh, implementation, uh, maybe a, a steady, gradual, more gradual implementation mm -hmm. of sinicization. Can you explain that? Yeah. So you mentioned about the sinicization concepts being introduced uh, first in 2015 by Xi Jinping. And the whole idea is to um, infuse and um, you know, require religious groups to align with um, the party's priorities and um, you know, their values, socialist values. Um, I think we're not seeing that a lot um, in the past. In Hong Kong, we're seeing it more in China. You know, uh, children are banned from going to churches. Right. Um, in some regions, uh, scriptures are being rewrite, re rewritten, mm -hmm. um, and and um, you now have to um, display Xi Jinping's uh, portraits in some of the uh, religious premises. And by my count, there are uh, six uh, Catholic bishops who have been put in black jail since right. the uh, or punished since the um, since the agreement with the Vatican in 2018. Yeah. And the Mission Society, the Pontifical Mission Society, um, says that there are 17 bishops altogether that are being punished or in black jails. And black jails are um, unofficial detention centers that mm -hmm. um, afford absolutely no due process or even any definite sentence. It can be indefinite. And yeah. you know, there's one bishop, uh, Bishop Sue, who has been imprisoned for 25 years, 28 years now. He was imprisoned. Yeah. Uh, he was jailed, arrested, and, and put away in, um, in 1996 and really hasn't been heard from since. Mm -hmm. Well, Nina, I think you write a lot about sinicization um, and, and the fact that um, it can be easily in, misinterpreted as enculturation or indigenization and some other people's words. Um, but it's far worse. <laughs> and it's, it's very restrictive. The, the concept of it is you are, um, we're facilitating evangelism by, um, you know, adapting a religion into the uh, indigenous culture. But sinicization is more than that. As you said, they're putting people in jail, putting uh, persons of faith in jail. They are banning people from going to church. Um, Surveillance using, cameras everywhere. Exactly, and they're they're using them as a political tool to, um, mm. you know, promote their own um, uh, political agenda. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're starting to see that in, I, in yes, Hong Kong. Yes, and and I think it's important to remember China is an atheist regime, and the only reason that they're keeping religions around is that they they wanted to use them as a political tool. Right. Um, and in Hong Kong, they have been already using, um, you know, these communities um, to promote its um, political agenda, to even use some of these groups to um, further crack down on other religious communities. Okay, so there are about 1,700, 1,788 political prisoners in Hong Kong, according to the database yeah. right now. And um, Bill, uh, I want to ask you again about Jimmy Lai in this context. Um, these political prisoners, almost 2,000 of them at this point, in Hong Kong uh, alone, 
um, mostly are forgotten by the West, or at least their names are not known, and there is no real campaign or attempt to elevate them, um, except for Jimmy Lai. And he has become the face, I think, for the whole problem of political prisoners and repression. What, are, what do you say? Yeah, I think Jimmy would tell you the same thing about the um, people, uh, the other people locked up that don't have his name recognition or uh, friendliness with Western reporters and politicians. He would always say, don't forget these people. And I think he thinks uh, he stayed in Hong Kong to be with them, yeah. to choose something. Mm -hmm. same, same with mm -hmm. Cardinal Zen. Mm -hmm. Cardinal Zen, uh, as Francis mentioned, was not prosecuted on the national security charges. He was on these other uh, uh, charges of organizing a group uh, without official regulatory permission. Um, he's 93. He would love to go to jail. <laughs> you know, they don't know what to do with him because he says, if I go to jail, I'll be closer to my people, my flock. I'll be able to serve more of them. So I think we should never forget those people. I want to add a thing about the uh, the churches and sinization. Uh, I think what Francis said is absolutely right. And there are horror stories out of China, you know, about churches being desecrated and portraits of uh, Xi being put up where maybe the saints once were or something. That's really bad. And Hong Kong hasn't quite reached those levels, but they are trying to take over the schools. That's probably the Catholic Church's most significant contribution. They run so many of the schools. So many Hong Kong's elite have gone through Catholic schools, and they're trying to take over the curricula. Look, the way I see it, Hong Kong is what it is, this great experiment this great Chinese society, because one, it was free in trade, open to all foreigners coming in and trading and making people rich and so forth. So the economy was free and open to all things, you know, banks from Japan, um, manufacturers from the U.S., all sorts of things. Uh, but religious freedom was free for largely the same reason. A lot of personnel uh, missionaries in different forms came. And as you know, Nina, the real test of religious freedom is corporate religious freedom. That is, a lot of people would go to China and see a church open and say, oh, China has religious freedom. No, it doesn't. They would permit services. They would try to control them, but permit the services. But the churches were not free to organize schools, give lessons, run clinics, do all the other work that it does. In Hong Kong, they do an extraordinary amount of work. Uh, Catholic Charities is the biggest social welfare organization in the territory. So um, I think this will be the next, the next stone. Um, I'm surprised they haven't yet gone after the, you know, expelled or not granted a visa to a foreign priest or a pastor who wants to come in. But I, I don't, if Xi Jinping continues to do what he's doing, I don't think Hong Kong's going to be exempt. Yeah, it's very dire in China. I'm, just in January 2024, this year, uh, Bishop Peter Shao was uh, arrested 
in, in um, Henan, and um, he was told to pack for all seasons um, because he was going to go to a black jail, unofficial detention, without any charge, without any trial, without any due process whatsoever, indefinitely. Um, so this is continuing in China. We're not seeing that yet in, in Hong Kong. Um, but I worry because um, the churches, um, China, as Francis points out, is starting to, um, the Chinese Patriotic Association is starting to, that's the government-controlled uh, church um, infrastructure, is starting to uh, exert uh, domination over even the uh, cardinal of, yes. of, of uh, Hong Kong, whom they refuse to call cardinal and call him <laughs> bishop and refer to Hong Kong as our diocese. Um, sure. Hong Kong is not part of the Patriotic Church of China, has never been, but it looks like it may, um, there even, as you point out, some voices, including, an, uh, I guess it was an Anglican minister who's calling for some kind of infrastructure like that to start registering churches. But I, I want to um, talk about um, the sharp contrast um, before when you had Cardinal Zen speaking out and honoring these uh, martyrs and, and prisoners in China, and now um, where the churches just seem to be conforming, the church leaders are conforming, um, um, you know, saying absurd things like enculturation, which Francis, you were just describing, is the same thing as cynicization, that um, the Pope Francis's love for humanity is the same thing. It's just like uh, President Xi's uh, Community for Common Destiny of Mankind. That's his Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah. Um, Cardinal Chow said that. Right? That was Cardinal Chow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, what do you make of this? Um, are, you know, some of the priests that you quote have amazing insights into this and. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I think you put it really um, very um, correctly, is that in the past, we see that faith has been quite embedded in social issues. Um, the Catholic Church in Hong Kong um, actually has this Justice and Peace Commission right. that focuses its work on caring about social issues, um, voicing out about the persecution in China's uh, church. Um, and now they have, you know, in, after the national security law was implemented, there were multiple attempts to censor statements coming out from the commission. Um, then in 2022, they actually renamed the commission to broaden its scope, um, and they kind of they had their own reason to explain it, saying that it was um, kind of uh, to echo the merger of Vatican um, of the four previous um, commission. But then that. Vatican's merger happened in 2017. So the timing of renaming the Hong Kong mm -hmm. um, commission is, is odd. Um, and I also found in my research that in their pamphlets, um, they actually removed um, you know, concerns about human rights issues, advocating um, yeah. for the church in China, and um, you know, speaking up on human rights issues. All of them were removed from the scope of work. And so it's obvious that they're trying to dilute its focus on these issues. Um, and now I think you mentioned about my, you know, interviews with some of the, um, you know, uh, priest in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, everyone is, is very worried that in the future they would be forced to join the 
um, Catholic Patriotic Association. Mm. They don't have to right now, um, but the Vatican um, have already said that they are looking into setting up um, a, a bishop conference and um, a liaison office in China, um, which makes people wonder maybe they will make it the case that um, uh, the, the Patriotic Association in China will be legalized. And in that case, then a Hong Kong priest would have to be would have to register with the Patriotic Association and be part of the right. um, Chinese bishop. Um, I, I, I wanted to mention that one of the priests that I interviewed, he said that um, I can't cut up Jesus's arm and present that to people that is Jesus Christ himself. So, but now this is the situation in Hong Kong. They have to show selective truth. Mm -hmm. um, they have to avoid any sensitive topics. Um, but in the Christian faith and Catholic faith... Like justice, faith, for example, is a sensitive right. topic. Yeah, and, and care about things around mm -hmm. you, um, care for others, um, speak up against injustice. All these kind of things are quite embedded in our faith. Well, Cardinal Chow has been taking groups over, arranged for groups, exchanges for, you know, what some people call red, red education, mm -hmm. you know, uh, student groups. Brainwashing. Yeah. Well, it's indoctrination of some kind, certainly, um, although okay. he denies it. Right. Um, is he and the church, is the Vatican naive? Do they not know what's happening? To you know, what's unfolding the, this this uh, absorption of Hong Kong and the Hong Kong Church? Well, I think we discussed this before. The answer is no, um, <laughs> right? Uh, when the 2019 movement happened, even the national security law came into effect. Um, a Vatican envoy has started talking to um, uh, you know for, uh, missionaries in Hong Kong. Um, about the, you know, China's impeding threats to religious freedom in Hong Kong. And he said, you know, Hong Kong is no longer the Catholic bishop, a uh, Catholic beachhead that um, it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, as, as Bill was describing earlier. Right. Yeah. And, and they started to also uh, remove, I mean, moving files um, from Hong Kong to, um, you know, foreign countries mm -hmm. because they see that, China to protect, is coming. To protect their archives and the people who came and talked about persecution. Exactly. And so the advice from him apparently shows that the Catholic Church is aware of mm -hmm. the problem and mm -hmm. the situation. Um, I think... Well, well I remember uh, Cardinal uh, Chow actually got a PhD in education from Harvard, and he wrote his thesis on how the schools have unique cultures. And in it, he talks about how uh, the Christian schools, the Catholic schools in Hong Kong um, had a culture of human dignity. Mm. And, and they had to preserve that. And, and, and that was what was very distinctive, even though they educated many who were not Catholic in their schools. That yeah. was a major theme for everybody that you know, was above and beyond the religion classes themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, maybe uh, you both could jump in about whither Hong Kong? Is, that, is, there, is there a culture of human dignity? Is it going to survive? Are the Christian, is there going to be anything Christian or religious about? Um, and we haven't really talked about other non-Christian religions. Um, Falun Gong certainly has been started to be, see some persecution and, and attacks. And the, the Muslim communities as well. And the Muslim, and, and, then, the, and then the, and, and it's, but it's always striking to me because the government talks about um, 
uh, how Christian uh, churches were leading, had Western values and were leading yeah. these non-Chinese um, demonstrations and protests and criticism. And, um, and, and, but the Asian religions were, had complete freedom and were fine. And in fact, if you, even if you look at Falun Gong, there is really a very, it's very Asian religion. It's indigenous to China, maybe the only one that started in China and um, um, became very popular uh, before it was crushed in the 1990s. But um, that it, 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 they won't tolerate it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's considered an evil cult in China, and now there, it seems like it's going to uh, go in that direction in Hong Kong as well, according to your report. Um, so, yes, um, I think they are um, specifically targeting um, not just Falun Gong. I mean, Falun Gong itself has a lot of, um, you know, included in their in their faith is that um, we speak up um, against the CCP, and so that's why, you know, you you can see how why they were being targeted. Um, but it, you know, through media, state control media, and um, you know, Chinese think tanks, the, the government has started to you know, single out Christians groups, um, especially Catholics. They have mentioned that um, Catholic is among all other Christians are the most, um, you know, most involved in social issues, social movements are most outspoken. Um, um, There was actually a blue book published by a Chinese leading think tank in 2021, where they talk about, um, you know, like the states of religions in Hong Kong. um, And they, they spent I think they used like at least 14 pages talking about education, how um, Christian groups um, have um, basically encouraged students to participate in the 2019 movement, which in their eyes is a violent um, riots that took place in, in mm-hmm. Hong Kong. And, and the Christian groups, Catholics, they are all um, responsible for that because they promote violent means and and promote um, you know encourage students to take to the streets. Um, so they're single. They're they're targeting. I the think faith it's that individual the, human dignity that really gets them because what they want is what Xi Jinping says is um, you know all breathe with the same breath mm-hmm. and all unite around you know the the party and. Um, and uh, conform, yeah. conformity as a group. And um, in fact, that is being repeated now by, uh, to my distress, by some uh, Bishop Ha. You have mm-hmm. a quote in your report about that where he says the ex- parts, the exact same uh, phrase th- uh, of that mantra that, that we must all breathe with one breath. Yeah. Um, so I think, again, this whole process of synthesization of religion is to transform a religion into their versions of, you know, CCP's version of religion, which that would be useful for them mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to control religions and control people's mind. And it's, it seems like the Christian leaders at this point are so intimidated by this, so frightened um, that they're, um, they're, they are willing, they're, they're midwifing this transformation, this cultural transformation. Yeah, well, I will, I was, I will even be more blunt to say that they're now willingly, like they're volunteering themselves to say a lot of the things that are not needed. For example, you you mentioned about, um, you know, clergies are now um, asked, um, arranged to visit Beijing in coming years, um, which was, um, you know, I I cover that in my report. 
this is not something, I mean, this is not something that the Vatican asked to do. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was a result of um, uh, Cardinal Chow's trip to, um, to Beijing. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, it was not asked, like the Vatican didn't ask him to do this. Like it was voluntary. Uh, voluntary mm -hmm. um, so it's worse than silence. It's you know a, a more more active. Than and I, it, it's not just happening in the Catholic Church. I mean, all the religious communities in Hong Kong, they're all like all the leaders are mm -hmm. pro Beijing, and mm -hmm. um, you know their leaders are even members of um, the uh, China's political conference. I mean, they're actually CCP officials now. And so uh, you see, um, you know, there are not a lot of people from other religions, like non-Christian religions in um, social movements. They are actually there, but they don't really relate their um, faith into their participation mm -hmm. because they don't see a leading voice from their religion um, that and, are and as, in as, social movements. As the uh, uh, Hong Kong priest you quote says, religion is becoming irrelevant if it goes in that direction. Yes. And, um, um, Bill, you you've knew um, Cardinal Zen. You know Cardinal Zen. He was very, very different, of course, when he was, um, I, I guess, free to free to talk. Um, he's still free to talk. He still freely uh, uh, expounds his views on on church teachings, but not so much anymore on on government and, and Hong Kong, uh, the crackdown going on in China. Yeah. Well, I think he finds it different way to speak. Um, Cardinal Zen is a true hero. He was born in Shanghai. He knows he knows China and knows Hong Kong well. And uh, as I say, he was convicted of one thing. They're still holding that national security charge against him. And he was tried with four other people, so he doesn't want to get them in trouble. But he speaks because on Jimmy's uh, trial, um, you know, most people don't want to be seen with lies. He ambles into the court and takes a seat right next to Theresa Lai. So that's a statement mm -hmm. that is shouting all over Hong Kong uh, where he sides and what he thinks mm -hmm. is right. And I'll say, you know, it's connected with the Vatican's, I think, disastrous China policy, mm -hmm. which Cardinal Zen was an outspoken critic. That's right. The fact that Cardinal Zen who knows about China, is Chinese, was excluded from negotiations, ought to tell you something. Yeah. Now, the new bishop, I think you can make a case. I don't agree with it, but you can make a case. We need to engage China and not enrage them over different things. That's fine. You can make that case, and that's the case the bishop makes or the cardinal makes now. Um, but I think if you were going to do that, He's not mentioned Jimmy Lai, probably the most prominent Catholic in jail in China. He's not mentioned him. And you think you'd make backdoor outreach to him to say, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this in public, but I'm praying for you. I, and and um, it really leaves a bitter taste in a lot of Jimmy's friends' mouths that they don't see the church uh, defending him. That's not surprising. The Pope hasn't defended Cardinal Zen. You know, when he was asked a question, I think about a year ago, about Cardinal Zen getting in trouble with the law, he kind of implied, well, he asked for it. Mm, yeah. 
Okay, so we're um, almost out of time. I want to have a lightning round about, um, with all of us, about uh, U.S. policy. What more should the U.S. be doing uh, for religious freedom, for Hong Kong, for freedom, for Jimmy Lai at this time? So, Bill, go ahead. Well, I, I have to say, the U.S. and U.K., a lot of the powers have been a lot better than I expected. They've denounced the trial as a sham. Um, and and different aspects of what the Hong Kong what Hong Kong is doing with the national security law, I think they need to follow that up. Every time you sit down with um, with the Chinese trying to negotiate, say, landing rights for a Chinese airline in Des Moines or a port call somewhere in Seattle, every anything they want, more visas, an expansion of a consulate, your answer ought to be Jimmy Lai. Only when it becomes more inconvenient. Now, I think Jimmy's going to be convicted. You know, the minister bragged the 100% conviction rate before the trial started. But after China convicts him, you could make a case. It served your purpose. You sent the message. He's 75. He'll be 76 then. Um, you know, keep in jail, risk having him die in jail. You should let him out now. Um, and it, it'll make it easier for you. So I would like them to bring his name up as often as possible okay. and not to forget the other people in jail that have no champion, that are unknown in the West okay. and are in there for minor crimes. I, I mean, last thing I'll say, the national security law is supposed to be aimed at curbing foreign influence. Why are the targets always uh, Hong Kong people like some guy who played Glory to Hong Kong, an unofficial protest song, when the Queen died on his harmonica. And I think he got a four-month sentence. It's, it's absurd. Yeah. Francis. Well, I wanted to shine a light on the upcoming Article 23 legislation. Um, the government has proposed this legislation, and they're now into this one-month consultation period, which, you know, it's more like an informed... Uh, a way to inform us this is going to come to the city. Um, the, the Article 23 is going to, it's, it seeks to fill in the loophole created um, in, under the national security law. Um, it target, uh, you know, foreign organizations, their activities in Hong Kong. By that, I, I think a lot of the small to medium scale church groups, um, I mean, um, the, the Catholic Church and um, foreign missionaries would all be affected. We don't know how they're going to use this law to go against religious groups, but having this law passed um, and imposed in Hong Kong would be a great threat to um, religious groups in Hong Kong. They are subject to legal prosecution and um, they would, would close have to... the door, that, as Bill was saying earlier. Well, th take, the, take the case of um, Catholic Church in Hong Kong. They might have to stop their communication with the Vatican because it's a foreign mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. So then you make the case of joining the Catholic Patriotic Association. They, they don't have direct communication mm -hmm. with the Vatican. Um, and, and I'm afraid... In fact, you have to take a pledge... Um, as a member of the Patriotic Association, which all clergy are required to do in mainland China, to be independent of the Vatican. Yeah, and, and I think, now again, we don't know how they're going to use this because it's mm -hmm. another vaguely written law. Mm -hmm. um, but having this law here, um, they have 
you know, if they don't like what you're doing and they have targeted you, um, they have the law at their disposal to mm-hmm. use that to, you know, threaten you mm-hmm. and and put you in jail. Mm-hmm. I think this is something the world, I mean, American government should pay attention to and to speak up, um, you know, against it. Good, good. Um, Another, just a very short one, um, you know, make good use of our sanction tools to hold mm-hmm. um, bad actors accountable for violating religious freedom in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. We have the, Hong, you know, like the U.S. has all the sanctions, mm-hmm. um, authorized, you know, they're, they're, authorized, they're authorized to, to use those right. tools. Targeted sanctions, um, yeah. It's already in the U.S. law that they can use. Um, Congressman Chris Smith has um, uh, um, sponsored a, a new uh bill to target with sanctions uh, Jimmy Lai's prosecutors. Um, So I I think that's a a good start um, on that and a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, for my recommendation, I'm going to say that I think that there should be a way to honor Jimmy Lai and what he stands for, the the people um, behind him who are in prison, whose whose names and faces are, are not well known. And that is by naming a street adjacent to one of the um, Chinese embassy buildings here in Washington. Or the um, Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the buildings that's actually in the name of uh, uh, the, 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 the Chinese government. government. Yeah. And um, uh, to name <coughs> it after Jimmy Lai, Jimmy Lai Way. And that is a tradition in Washington. We have Andrei Sakharov Way and... Um, you know, the uh, various others um, from other countries um, named uh, embassy streets, um, fronting them named after their political prisoners or martyrs and political martyrs. And so I think that this would be a way to keep, to honor Jimmy Lai and all those in prison and to keep his name before the public and the world to know who they are. So we're out of time. I want to thank our guests today. Bill McGurn, Francis Way, and um, thank you all for tuning in. <laughs>